Well, I want to welcome you today to the last week of our bold message series as we talk about bold speech. And to get us started, I have a question for you. Has there ever been a time in your life when you felt like there was something you were supposed to say and you just could not say it? Maybe it was a spouse that had hurt you. Maybe it was a child that was being disobedient or a roommate that had crossed some boundary or a coworker that wasn't carrying their weight on a project that you were working on. And it was time to say those words, but the last 10% of the conversation seemed to evade you. And maybe you could think of it like this. When we were young kids and there was that moment where you met a boy or a girl and you wanted him to be your boyfriend or her to be your girlfriend, and it was time to ask her, it was time to say, will you be mine? And instead of asking, what did we do? We pulled out a piece of paper and we wrote down the question, will you be mine? Check yes or no. And then we fold up the piece of paper, fold it up so it's like a triangle and send it across the room and Four or five people look at it, and then he or she says yes or no, and then they send it back across the room. Most of the time, mine was no, but for those of you who it was yes, now you get to walk down the hallways of middle, the middle school with that new girl in tow in her hand in your hand. Now, that lack of boldness or courage takes on a different shape or form as adults, does it not? Now, when we get into an argument or a disagreement with somebody in our lives that we maybe even love and care about when it's time to solve that disagreement or argument instead of working through in a healthy way. What do we do? We type up a text or we write up an email and we put all kinds of slanderous and nasty things in that email and we hit send. Or or maybe it's somebody in our life that doesn't know about God's love and when it's time to share the message of God's love with that person, we back away and we cower in fear. See, there is a quantitative difference in our life when there is boldness of speech. And what I want to say to you, the big overarching theme as we conclude our series is this, that boldness is behavior born out of belief, number one, and we speak boldly about that which we believe deeply. And for many of our lives, we are oftentimes one to two difficult conversations away from the relationship that God wants us to have, one to two difficult conversations away from a breakthrough in our lives, making a greater impact with fruitfulness. And many times we stay on this side of boldness and courage with our words, failing to step into the life that God created us for and longs for us to live. And so My hope today is very practically to challenge us to be more bold with our speech and unpack what that might look like. And I want to give you just a little bit of a background of the passage we're going to look at today. It's found in the book of Acts in the New Testament of the Bible. If you have one, you can open there, and the passage will also be on the screen. But this book of Acts that we see, this undeniable, incredible boldness of the early followers of Christ There was something going on here that inspired this kind of boldness, as we said that boldness was behavior born out of belief. And what inspired this boldness for these early disciples was the fact that they believed that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. His early followers had spent time with him, watching him perform miracles and heal people, teach large groups. But now there came this moment when Christ was nailed to a cross and three days later, He had resurrected from the grave and conquered the grave. And now all of a sudden they were on this mission to share this message with as many people as possible. In Acts chapter 4, there's this story 
of them speaking boldly. And leading up to this particular verse we're going to look at, two men by the name of John and Peter were on their way to the temple to pray one afternoon. And the Bible says that as they're on their way to pray, pray, there's this guy who's been lame since birth. He's never been able to walk. And he asked Peter and John, he says, will you give me some money? And they look down at this guy and they say, we don't have any money to give you. I'm sure you felt like that before when somebody asked you for money. We don't have anything to give you. But what we do have in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And so this guy who's been lame from birth all of a sudden stands up and he starts singing praise to God and he's dancing. And this large group of people gather around to see this man who's just been healed. And what they want to know is, what's the power by which you've healed this guy? And Peter and John look at this large group of people in the city called Jerusalem, the place where Christ has just recently been crucified. They look at these men and women gathered around and they say, It's by the power of Jesus, the man that you crucified, that this lame guy, who this formerly lame guy, stands healed before you now. And about this time, a group of religious leaders called the Sanhedrin and the elders walk up. And they notice this situation unfolding. And they get frustrated because they see Peter and John, the same ones that they know have been around this Jesus guy. They don't want this message to spread anymore. So they decide to throw them into jail for the night to figure out what they're going to do with Peter and John. The next morning, after Peter and John have already been bold with this large group of people, they're standing before the Sanhedrin, the same group of people that put Jesus on trial in the middle of the night and then would have him crucified. And in this moment, Peter and John are brought in before the Sanhedrin to give an account. They look at them and they say, how did you heal this guy? Tell us what's going on. And they look at them. And they say, you murdered the author of life, the long-awaited Messiah that the nation of Israel has been expecting and anticipating for hundreds upon hundreds of years. And it's by the power that is in Christ, the resurrected Christ, it's in the strength that he gives that this man stands before you healed today. Now, you could imagine the religious leaders get very frustrated with Peter and John but they don't know what to do. They're so thrown off by the boldness of these two men that they, they're like, how do we solve this problem? They're crazy. They're going nuts. And so they order them to go out, and then they bring them back in. And the scripture says that when they bring them back in, they order them not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And I love what happens in verse number 19. Look at this passage of scripture. Scripture says they called them in again, And commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speak about that which we have seen or heard. In the face of death, here are these men standing before the same people that murdered Jesus a short time ago. And they said, even if you take away our very lives, we cannot help but speak in the name of this man, Jesus, the one who is crucified and risen, even if we lose our lives. And this boldness reverberated from their lives, and it was contagious. The rest of the disciples, the followers of Christ, started speaking boldly as well. In fact, later on in Acts chapter 4, after this large group of people had been praying for the release of Peter and John, from prison, and Peter and John have just been so bold. 
the passage would say this in verse 29, that these followers of Christ would pray, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God and spoke the word of God boldly. After being threatened with their lives, being bold, then later they would come in again and say, God, give us great boldness. And this continued to multiply. In fact, I'll give you a couple more examples throughout this book called Acts. It says in chapter 9, verse 28, another man that would choose to follow Christ after persecuting Christians, Scripture would say that Saul would move about freely, speaking the word of God boldly. Acts 14, 3 would say Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed their message by his grace, enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Acts chapter 19, verse 8 would say, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. See, all throughout the book of Acts, these men and women were filled with great boldness and confidence, and the church grew and multiplied so much that It's believed that close to one-third of this city called Jerusalem would become followers of Christ a short period later. And I wonder oftentimes, for us in the 21st century, for the North American church, if the reason that we don't experience the same kind of fruitfulness that they did in the book of Acts is because we're not bold with the truth about the message of Christ the way that these men and women were bold, so much that they were willing even to lay down their lives. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, most of us would say we want that kind of boldness. If we're a follower of Christ, we want to be able to speak and see the same kind of results that this group of people saw. But when it comes to the actual application and implementation of our lives, often it falls short. And so in the remaining time that we have together, I want to get really practical with you about what it might look like us to move from living with fear with our words to now becoming the kind of bold people that God longs for us to be. And there's a graphic that's going to come on the screens, and this describes the essence of when it... uh, There we go. All right. Just making sure you're all with me. Okay, so in this graphic here, what we see is bold speech begins first by boldly speaking to ourselves. And then it reverberates out into our relationships with our family, our friends, our neighbor, and ultimately our world. That when I'm convinced about the truth and the message of Christ, I first have to get it into my heart. Boldness is behavior born out of my belief that when I'm convinced, then it impacts my family, those most closely connected to me, my friends, my neighbor, and ultimately my world. And I want to highlight three types of bold speech that I believe God desires to be in place in our lives. And if you're taking notes, the first type of bold speech is this. It's that I would boldly speak grace. That I would boldly speak grace. I remember a friend a few years ago came to me explaining to me that he had struggled with an addiction to pornography. And he said he would get about six weeks clean, and he would overcome this addiction for a period of time, and then he would fall back into that temptation. And I remember in a conversation with this good friend of mine, as he was explaining this, he said, there's such guilt and shame that I feel as a result of, uh, of my falling over and over and over again. 
And I just kind of sensed this impression upon my heart that I should speak some grace into his life. And I looked at him this very clearly, since that God was leading me to say this. I said, I believe that there is going to be a time in the future when you're going to look me in the eyes and you will have been clean for five years. And this struggle, this, this moment that you've continued to fall back into sin will be a distant memory in your past. And recently that friend of mine walked to me after three years of being clean and said, I just want you to know I'm like three-fifths of the way towards that, that moment when you spoke grace into my life. And I remember looking into his eyes and saying, God is not through with you. You may feel like you've blown it over and over and over again, but the message of Christ is a message of forgiveness and mercy that no matter where you are in your journey spiritually, that, that today that same grace that was available to my friend is the same grace that is available to us. And you and I can become a tangible expression of the grace of God into the lives of other people. There are folks in your life today, in your sphere of influence, that are struggling. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's somebody who's been abused in their past. Maybe it's a spouse that that feels like they'll never measure up to become the kind of person that God has created them to be. And just through a spoken word, you can become the grace of God to that person. I love this verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 30 and 31. It says this, what shall we say then in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The apostle Paul is writing in this verse to followers of Christ to say that God is for you. He is not against you. He's on your side. He wants what's best for your life. And many times, I just need to be reminded that there is grace available to me that because of Christ's forgiveness, that was his blood that was shed at a cross, that there can be forgiveness that floods into my life and there can be forgiveness that floods into your life. And sometimes I just have to remind myself of this truth over and over and over again. I'll give you an example. Recently, on a Saturday evening, I basically switch gears on Saturday nights to kind of get ready for Sunday mornings, prepare throughout the week, but Saturday night I have to go back through it, get it in my heart again, and let's just say there was this one recent Saturday night where there were some unmet expectations between my wife and I as it related to cleaning up after dinner, and I was just a bum. I just left the dinner table and kind of got ready for Sunday morning. And I just started feeling really bad about it when I realized that there were unmet expectations. And I started going through all these thoughts in my mind, like, man, you are horrible. You, you suck. I mean, you, you shouldn't be a pastor. You shouldn't stand up in front of people and preach and teach the message of Christ. I mean, you should send somebody else up on stage tomorrow. Get your act together. Come on. What is your problem? Anybody else ever have these kind of thoughts? A couple of honest people in the room. And uh, so I put on some headphones, and I walked outside. And just started listening to some music about the grace of God and was just in a fresh way reminded that I I need the grace of God as much as anybody else that I will stand up and share that message with. And there, in repentance, walked back into the house and shared with my wife, I'm sorry, please forgive me, God, please forgive me. But was reminded, again, that God's grace is available to me. And as I understand that grace more and more, then that grace gives me confidence to speak the same 
into other people's lives. Who is the person in your sphere of influence that God has placed around you that he wants you to become a tangible expression of his grace to this week? A friend who's struggling, a family member who's been walking through an addiction? Just write that down, maybe even on the inside of your program, that there's somebody that God wants you to extend his grace to this week. The second type of bold speech is not quite as fun as the first one, and it's the boldness of speech as it relates to speaking the truth in love. See, God wants me to speak grace into people's lives, but he also wants me to speak the truth in love. And as we said at the beginning of the message, that boldness is behavior born out of belief, and we speak deeply or we speak boldly about that which we believe deeply, there is a conviction or a belief that drives my boldness and willingness to speak the truth in love. And it's this, that this book right here called the Bible is God's inerrant holy word for our lives. And the way of life that is outlined in the pages of this book from beginning to end, that there is no better way of life as it pertains to our relationships, as it pertains to parenting, dating, marriage, the way we handle our finances, as it relates to sexual purity. There is no way of life that is better than the way of life that is held in these pages. There's no way of life that leads to more lasting joy, peace, fulfillment, and contentment than what we find in this book. And so my life, at times, deviates from this. Sometimes it's just a little bit off. It's three degrees or four degrees off. But there have to be conversations of, uh, at which somebody comes and speaks the truth in love to bring me back into alignment with God's very best for my life. I can tell you many examples. Some of them are more comical than others. Uh, one story of a time when I was out of alignment and someone spoke was when a mentor of mine by the name of John Worcester uh, was working with me to help start a church in Texas. This was before my wife, Stacy and I moved out here. And I was like a glorified teenager at the time. I'd just been married uh, for a little over a year. And my wife and I decided that we would get some puppies. And when we decided to get puppies, we were trying to get some of our mistakes out uh, as parents. And on this one particular occasion, we were going away with a group of leaders from our church uh, to learn and be a part of this conference and I, I still, to this day, have no idea why I did this. It seems so foolish when I look back on it. But we decided that we would take our eight-week-old puppies with us on this conference to learn about leadership. So um, when we went, we separated rooms, and the guys were in one room, and the girls were in another room, and the puppies got to stay with me. And as you can imagine, little puppies, they barked the whole night. They peed all over the place. They chewed up the room, and nobody that was with me got to sleep that night. And it seems very clear looking back, but somehow at that time it just made sense to me that I would do this. And later the next week I was sitting in the office of my mentor and very graciously and lovingly said, Andy, it's probably about time that you grow up, that you become a man and start thinking through the implications of your decisions at a new level. And it was like, ah, yeah, I should, I should probably do that. Uh, I remember another occasion uh, when a good friend of mine, Felipe, who's on our staff, came to me shortly after my wife Stacy and I had been married for two years, and I, I, like, I just didn't know how to be a husband. And he comes to me and he says, Andy, this is what I see in the Bible a husband does. This is what I see in your life, and the two don't match up. I think if you continue in this path, 
this is going to be a lot of pain for you, and you might want to consider what the Bible says a husband should do when it says he should love his wife as Christ loved the church. And it was like God used that to redirect my life. I think about a conversation with a mentor of mine named Steve Stroop, and I'm on the phone with him a couple of years ago, and he says, Andy, the pace of your life is not sustainable, and if you continue your life at the pace that you're going now, you're not going to finish the race strong. So make a choice, either change your pace or you're going to burn out. And many of these conversations along the way, not, not like dozens of them, hundreds of these conversations in my life have redirected me. And I'm so grateful for people that would be so bold as to speak the truth in love into my life to redirect me back to God's very best. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13, or excuse me, verse 15 says it this way. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow into him who is the head that is Christ. That the fullness of expression that God longs for our lives of becoming the person that he's created us to be requires there to be truth in love spoken into our lives, but also that we would become conduits of the truth in love into the lives of other people. And so there are folks in your life right now that God has placed around you, around you that his desire is that you would speak the truth in love into their life. And I think that sometimes in our, our overly accepting culture that we're like, you know, whatever you believe is fine. Whatever you choose, it's, it's your life. Let me tell you something, friends. If you see a friend that is driving in a car and they're driving down a road and at the end of that road is a cliff, if you stand there and when they drive by, you smile and just say, whatever road works for you, you just... You just go down that road. See you later. Is that love? What love does is love says, there is a cliff that you are heading towards. And even if it's over my body, I will lovingly and graciously stand in front of you on the way to destruction so that you don't go off the edge of this cliff. See, there are people in our lives that we feel like it's more loving just to say, see you later. Have a nice ride. Have a nice life. When God has given you some level of truth. I think about a friend of mine who is spending time with somebody who is not his spouse. They were going on business trips, and to him it just made sense. To me, I'm like uber sensitive. I'm like side-hugging girls and high-fiving them because I don't want them to think I I want like anything with them. I'm like overly cautious about this to no appointments alone with women. And I just, every time I would go back and I would read the Bible, I would get this impression that I needed to speak to this person who's like twice my age. And so I penned up an email that was very gracious and just said, I know that there's probably nothing going on behind the scenes, but I just want to say, I see the path you're on. And the path that you're on is opening up this huge window for destruction in your life. Sent that email and that person so graciously responded and said, thank you for being willing to share that into my life. I remember another conversation I had with a guy who stepped into my office and he was sleeping with his girlfriend and I was trying to challenge him that, that sexual purity, the way that God longs for it to be in our lives is sex to happen in a covenantal relationship, that it's a good thing, but it's a covenantal relationship under God with somebody of the opposite sex. It's monogamous. It's one person. And he was trying to twist and reorient the scriptures the way that he could so that he could continue to sleep with his girlfriend because it felt good for him. And I looked at him in the eyes and I said, bro, I love you. I want God's very best for you. But there is no way that you can tell me from the bottom of your heart what you are doing, that you are doing it from a selfless place in your heart. 
And I said, the path that you're on, the destruction that awaits you is either a broken relationship with her and tons of emotional baggage on this side of marriage or on the other side of marriage, a whole lot of crap that you got to work through. And just, I love you, I care about you, but I love you enough to speak this truth into your life. See, could you imagine the difference that it could make in all of our lives if we were willing to say, hey, I love you, I care about you enough to share the truth in love. Now, let me be very clear. This is not a hammer for us that we get to walk around and beat on people's heads. This is one that comes out of a heart that desires God's best. It might mean you saying things like, what I see in you is this, and this is the path that it appears that you're on. It it might be asking for permission before you say it, but these little conversations of being bold could be the conversation that saves a marriage or could be the conversation that leads somebody ultimately to relationship with God. So the first kind of bold speech is to boldly speak grace. The second is to boldly speak the truth in love. And thirdly, certainly not least, is to boldly speak hope into the lives of people around us. First, we boldly speak grace. Second, we boldly speak truth in love. Thirdly, we boldly speak hope. And there are two components of this that I want to focus in on. I love this verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It's one of the most hope-giving verses of the Bible. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The Apostle Paul, who writes this letter to the church in Galatians, says, Don't give up. Be faithful. Keep sowing seeds in the right direction. And if you keep sowing those seeds, there's going to be a time where a harvest enters into your life. And I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had with pastors or life group leaders or even married couples that are, that are working to, to see their lives move in the direction that God wants them to move, but it's just not going at the pace that they hoped it would. And sometimes all we need is somebody just to say, you're doing a good job. I see you. I see how faithful you're being. I see that you're sowing the right kind of seeds. Don't give up. Hang in there just a little bit longer, and God's going to bless you. He's going to pour out his grace upon you, and he's going he's to bring a harvest of righteousness because of your faithfulness. There have been so many people in my life that have spoken that kind of hope into me, and I believe that also God wants me to speak that same kind of hope into the lives of other people. But for the remainder of our time, I want to talk about a different kind of hope that we can speak into the lives of other people. See, when we start to think about all the components of what we've covered with grace and truth and the hope to continue and persevere, if all of the things that we give to another person's life just make their life a little bit better on this side of eternity, it's completely worthless. Because... We're not just mere mortals, friends. We are people who will spend eternity one of two places. One at a place called heaven with God, with Christ. The other, a place called hell, eternally separated from God. A very real, physical hell separated from God. Every one of us. And if you're a follower of Christ and your life has been changed by the message of Christ, then the reason that God still has you here on planet Earth is to extend his mission of every nation, tribe, tongue, and person on the planet knowing about the love and the difference that he has made in your life. 
And I know at times it can seem overwhelming when you think about the billions and billions of people here on planet Earth, but there are dozens of people around you in your sphere of influence that you potentially could be the only conduit of the message of Christ that that person has ever heard. And we get to that point in the conversation when we have the opportunity to speak about the hope and the difference that God has made in our lives and we cower away in fear. And consequently, there might be a coworker or a friend or a family member. I think about one family in our church, the Torres family that started coming to South Bay a few years ago. And Fred, who is like the head father of this big Filipino family, uh, if I can say so, and all the Filipinos laugh, I told him he should start a mafia. Uh, he, he went out and he started inviting his family to South Bay. And there have been over 60 people that have come to South Bay and their lives have been changed because this one family was bold enough. And there are people in our lives that God has placed there that oftentimes it's just one invitation, it's one prayer, it's one conversation about your life being changed that is enough to help that person even just walk through the doors of the church where the message of Christ can clearly be proclaimed for them and they can receive and begin a relationship with God. But we're cowards at times and we stand on this side. And what God is wanting to do is to move us beyond that line. And here's the conviction that moves us beyond this line. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this in verse 19. It says, if it's only for this life that we have hope, we are to be pitied more than all men. And the message of Christ is a message for eternity. It's the only conduit by which we can have relationship with God. That God would lovingly step out of the glory and comfort of heaven, live among us for 33 years, that Jesus Christ, after living here for 33 perfect years, would be crucified on a cross for the sins and the brokenness of our world as a bridge between God and humanity. And the Bible would say that the wages of our sin, your sin, my sin, our brokenness is death. Not just death in this life, but eternal separation from God. The wages of sin is death. But there is a gift of God and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so when he was crucified, it was a bridge for all of humanity that they could be forgiven. We could receive God's mercy and walk across this bridge into relationship with God. And for followers of Christ that are convinced of this truth, that have received this truth, now it's the moment for us to step up and to become the expression and the vocal conduit of that truth into the lives of other people. Now, I know it can seem kind of overwhelming. How do I do this, right? Because we've seen a lot of really bad examples. I was at the Dave Matthews concert last uh, Sunday night, and I just want to say I've never been closer to being high in my life than I was at that concert. <laughs> Not because I smoked pot, but because everybody else around me was like lighting up. It was very disturbing to me. But what was more disturbing to me than all the people around me smoking pot was the guy that was standing in front of the Dave Matthews concert as you walked in with a megaphone. The side of his shirt said, Jesus is Lord. And the whole time he's standing there is, you're going to hell, you potheads. Get your life together. Repent. Turn to Jesus. You're going to hell. And I just wanted to walk up and just start, like, tapping people on the shoulders and saying, I'm sorry for that. 
That's not how it goes. That guy doesn't understand. He's got it all wrong. What God wants is grace to have transformed my life and your life, truth to have changed us, and hope to have entered into our lives so much that every person we encounter would just be a little bit of the drip of hope that can come from him. It might be just explaining to a coworker, this is what my life was like before God, and this is how my marriage has been changed. This is the joy I have. This is the peace that has filled my heart. It might be calling a family member that you haven't talked talk to for years and just saying, I realize now that I'm forgiven by God, and I want to forgive you for my past with you, and will you forgive me? It might be going to a spouse that you've been praying for and just saying, hey, I just want you to know that I've never been more convinced of this truth than I am at this moment in my life, and my life is so different. I want you so bad, the most important person in my life, to experience what I'm experiencing. See, God desires for us to tangibly be his hands and his feet here on earth, and what is required is this kind of boldness that existed in the church, and God is challenging us to step up to a whole new level. Now, I I just want to say, I don't think that there's any way that we could have experienced the kind of changed lives that we've experienced from the beginning of our journey when six people moved across the country to start a church, and now God has grown this thing, and over a thousand people are coming it's because you, many of you, have been bold with your faith in Christ. But the temptation for us is now that our church is growing and things are happening and lives are being changed is to lose a sense of urgency about the mission that God has given to us. The, the area that we live in is over 95% disconnected from relationship with God. There are so many people in our sphere of influence with friends and family members and co-workers and neighbors that if God were to come back today they would spend eternity apart from him and so what God is wanting us to do is take that step to take that leap of faith and it might be just this simple if I can boil it down as we conclude our time when you walked in today you received a program that looks like this could you go ahead and pull that out and inside that program are five cards relationship rehab cards for our series that we're kicking off next week. And it might be as simple as you just walking across the office or down the street or calling a friend or a family member to invite them to come with you next week. There are so many people that I've heard their stories throughout the journey of our church that it was just one invitation and relationship with God began the first Sunday that they came or a month or two in that they started coming to South Bay. Who's that person Who's that friend? Who's that family member? Who's that coworker? Maybe even write their names down on the card to be so bold as to say, I'm going to invite this person this week. I'm going to be bold because I believe in the hope of this message that it's changed my life and it can change the message of the lives of those around us. There's no limit to what God can do with a group of people that will be bold with their speech the way that the early church was bold with their speech. And that's what his desire is for us as a church today. Got it? No. Got it? All right, let's pray. All across the room, people at different places in the journey, if you are exploring faith in Christ today, my hope of what you hear in this message, the last thing I would want you to hear is that you are a project to our church. In fact, you are the reason that we started this church, so that you could know the love of God. The Bible says that relationship with God can become the reality of our lives very simply. Two words important for us to know by grace through faith. It's grace and faith. 
It's the grace that came as Christ was crucified, buried, and resurrected. God in human form, as he was crucified and his blood was spilled, that grace becomes available to you and I. And the second component is faith. It's, it's us receiving this message. Just like a good receiver on a football team has to put his hands out and receive. The quarterback can't throw the ball and catch the ball. He throws it and the receiver has to receive it. Today can be the day that you receive this truth into your life and relationship with you and God begins. It starts by acknowledging that you are a sinner, that your life is broken that you, just like I, have not measured up to the perfect standard that God has for your life. It doesn't stop there, though. It continues as I believe in what he's done on a cross and as he was resurrected from the dead, that not by trying harder religiously or working on my own deeds, but as I believe in his message that that relationship begins. And then the third part is my confession that he is now in charge of my life. Another way of saying it is he's the Lord of my life, that he becomes the master and commander of the ship. And so today that relationship between you and your creator can begin by acknowledging what he's done, believing in him and confessing to him that you want to follow him. So you can do that in your heart. You might say a prayer that goes something like this. God, I admit my need for you today. Jesus, I believe that you are crucified on a cross and that you resurrected from the dead. And I confess to you today, I want you to be the Lord and the master of my life. For the rest of us around the room, I want to pray a prayer over you. God, thank you for this church that has been bold, but we don't want to be satisfied with where we've come. We know that there's so much more work to be done in our community and in your world. And in a fresh way, we surrender to you to be on mission for you, to be bold. God, help us not stop short of the great things that you want to do to change our community with your love. Thank you that you came from heaven to earth with love so that we could be forgiven. Now let us this week be the tangible expression of this love to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.